And if you're able to delay your gratification with those things by house hacking for a certain amount of time, you can do whatever you want in life. Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? Real quick before we start the show. If you go down to the description or the show notes for this podcast episode, there's a link and that's going to send you to a page that you can download our free ebook on. This ebook is really good. Brad wrote it and it covers everything that you need to know about house hacking in a very structured order so you can put all the pieces together. All right. Enjoy the show. Welcome to House Hacking Success Episode 1. We are thrilled you're here. I'm your host with my co-host, Drew. Drew, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brad. I'm excited for the journey. Yeah, for sure. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this podcast is really just meant to grow a community around house hacking, helping you grow together, give any resource we can, connect you with people in your market, uh, and just really show you the power that house hacking can bring in your life and your wealth building journey, but also doing what matters most to you. And we know a lot of people around the country that that do all sorts of things, whether it's wanting to travel, live a life of travel. Uh, maybe they just want to live a life where they're doing something unique, like Drew is a professional bowler, uh, and they want to be able to spend more time doing that. And so the ultimate reason that we house hack is to live for free so that we can do those things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, house hacking enables you to do so much in real estate, and we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't believe it was an amazing strategy. But I truly believe that house hacking is the number one way to get started in real estate. So throughout this journey, we're going to bring on some of the most unique people in the industry of house hacking. Uh, and we're just going to pour into hopefully your life and the community. And we just so appreciate all of you being involved, commenting, helping each other out. That's what it's all about. And so today with episode number one, we're going to go through my personal story so that hopefully uh, we can just show you some parallels and, and hopefully inspire some of you to maybe join in in this house hacking journey. Ask us any questions you have. And uh, we're an open book. So we're really thrilled that you're here today. Yeah, you can uh, find us. We're pretty much all over on social media. So DM us on Instagram if you got questions. Uh, we're going to have links in the description, so feel free to check us out. Absolutely. So Drew's going to ask me a series of questions going into my story, and we uh, we hope you enjoy this. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, so Brad, uh, can you tell me a little bit about your early stages and what exactly got you into real estate? It was a journey for sure. I uh, went to college to play college football, and uh, very quickly I realized that I was not you know college material as far as study. I mean, I I just went and picked a major because they told me I had to. And I love football, but it, it came a time where I just felt like I was wasting my time. Um, so I came back home uh, and I just began getting low level jobs, entry level jobs um, in construction industry and then eventually in manufacturing industry. And so uh, but I was always scrappy because of my days playing football. Um, and so I was able to save money. Uh, and I, and I just knew that there was something out there for me. Um, and so I picked up odd jobs after hours, um, a after a while in the construction industry, as I got better, I began doing side jobs every single week for a couple of years. So I was, I was literally li working every single day for literally a couple summers straight. Um, and I saved a ton of money. Um, and I, and it, it, I was always entrepreneurial. So I was flipping cars. Um, I was, you know, I was doing side jobs. I was, you know, scrapping scrap metal. I mean, I was just doing all sorts of things to make a couple extra bucks, uh, to see what I could do, 
Um, no matter, you know, and I, and I had no real idea that real estate was going to be the way, but I did know that rich people owned real estate. Uh, something was just unique about that. Um, so, you know, when I was 20 years old, um, I ended up buying my first property. It, it was completely gutted. I mean, they had went in there, they stripped all the copper out. Uh, they stripped out all the wiring to get the copper. Uh, the place was just a disaster. Um, you know, most of the windows were, were broken into. So did a, did a pretty substantial, uh, rehab on the place and ultimately put a tenant in there. And, uh, my first, uh, unique experience with real estate was that my tenant got murdered. So, uh, at, at 21, you know, I, I had this experience where a tenant got murdered. Um, the place got ransacked again, you know, they, they took all the copper again and just all that. And so I, I end up just saying, you know what, uh, you know, forget it. And I handed the property back to someone else. Um, and I lost somewhere between 10 and $15,000, which, you know, isn't in the grand scheme, a ton of money, but to somebody that's 20, 21 years old, that's a lot of money. Um, so, you know, but in, internally I never really thought too much about losing that money. Uh, I just knew that with my initial experience of buying real estate, that it was not only possible for me to do it, but that I, I saw people doing it at a higher level. Uh, and so I just sort of internally said, man, like I'm not good enough. Uh, and I need to figure out what I need to do to become good enough. So it was definitely a humbling experience. So I would imagine that uh, ten to $15,000 that you lost on that first deal, you know, that was probably your cost of entry to figuring out how to get into real estate. And one of our goals of this show is to educate people so they don't have to pay that cost of entry because ten to $15,000 is easily a down payment for some houses uh, when you get into house hacking. But, you know, for you, um, paying that cost of entry probably set you down the path to where you could be successful in real estate. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, people pay that cost of entry in a, a few different ways. And the way that I like to, uh, you know, show people is that, number one, you could do it yourself. Um, and buy yourself like I did and like a lot of people do. Um, they just they just instinctively know that real estate is a good idea. And so they jump headfirst into it. Um, but a lot of times you lose money that way. You, you don't you don't see the grand picture. Uh, and so the second way is to get a mentor. And so, you know, in the online space, people talk mentorship as far as uh, buying into someone's mentorship course or something like that, or just talking about mentorship at a high level. But it's actually really challenging to find a mentor because going up to somebody who is really good at their craft and is also really busy, it's going to be incredibly challenging for you to say, Hey, can you be my mentor? I have never went and asked somebody to be my mentor, but I have a lot of mentors. Um, and so, you know, for me at a, at a young age, I, after that experience, I found someone that was doing, uh, you know, a lot of real estate. Um, and I just started doing odds and ends for him. I started out just doing, um, you know, the things he didn't want to do. Uh, I got it out of property for him. Um, I then started doing like odds and ends. And then eventually, uh, you know, I did a roof for him and then another roof for him. Uh, and he just began, you know, because of my work ethic, he, he noticed that and he noticed how trustworthy I was in an industry with, you know, of construction that isn't very trustworthy generally. Um, and so he just kept giving me more and more. Uh, and ultimately we'll go into this down in the future, but I partnered with him. Uh, and to this day, I, you know, as an agent now, I sell a lot of his properties. Um, and so, you know, mentorship looks a lot like doing the things that no one else wants to do for somebody that's successful in your industry. That's how I like to, to tell people, you know, if you can find somebody in your industry uh, that is doing what you want to do, go do the thing that he can't find anyone to do. You know, like uh, if he owns a lot of rental properties, 
he probably has a lot of issues on him. Maintenance. If you're handy at a, you know, uh, just a little bit handy, go and and you know clean up his properties, go fix the toilet for him, do whatever for a low cost just to be around him, and you'll learn from osmosis. You can ask him questions involved with that. You know, it, it's probably challenging for him to find really good handymen that are consistent. You can be that person for him. Uh, if you're like Drew and you're in the IT industry. Uh, and you know somebody that you know is flipping properties or owns a lot of rental properties or whatever it is, uh, they probably don't have a great website or they probably don't have a great social uh, presence, social media presence. Whatever it is, go to them and say, hey, I'll build you a website for free. Let me come hang around you and your properties. Uh, no matter what your expertise is, there's probably a way you can help somebody. And that's how you ultimately become their mentor or become their mentee, you know, them mentoring you. Right. Yeah. It's uh, adding value to that person, right? You don't necessarily want to walk up to them and be like, hey, Will you be my mentor? They'll say uh, no every it, time. <laughs> right. They, they don't have time for that, right? So you find a way to provide value and you make the offer to provide the value. And then you build a relationship based on that value that you're providing to that person. And then they become your mentor. It doesn't have to be said that they're your mentor, right? But um, if you help them out, eventually you're going to be able to learn from them. Absolutely. So, you know, after that initial experience, um, I, I went back, I started to do, that was actually when I did the most of my side jobs after, uh, I lost that property. And before I began flipping, uh, I, I started to do side jobs. And so, um, gained a lot of money. I was, I, I was flipping cars at the time too. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of, uh, stockpiled another, um, you know, decent amount of cash. And I did a live in flip, which is also, uh, a, a sort of house hack that people can consider. Uh, I bought this house from a bank, uh, lived in it. Uh, it took me about eight months to rehab it. Um, I think it took about uh, 11 initial acquisition to actually selling um, the property. And you know, I, at the end of the day, I made somewhere between thirty and forty thousand dollars cash net um, before taxes. And so, you know, I, I did pretty decent on the job. I hired out the the things that I wasn't comfortable uh, with, which is, you know, plumbing and electrical. You know, for the most part, everything else, I either hired a handyman to help, you know, and, and I would help them or I did it myself. I knew exterior construction. I did the roof. I did the siding. Uh, I did the window installation and all that. Um, I laid the floor, which is, a you know, a relatively easy thing to learn on YouTube. I was constantly on YouTube learning new things. Um, so, you know, I, I did that whole thing. I, I sold it. Um, and then, you know, I, I went and uh, I asked this mentor that we talked about earlier. After I sold that place, I took him out to lunch and uh, I just said, hey, man, I just want to learn from you. And so I, I was telling him during this lunch, hey, I got this, um, you know, I got this cash now that I've never had. I've never had this amount of money before. Um, like, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I know I want to get in real estate, but I like I just. I don't know, you know, all the ins and outs, uh, you know, like what would you advise me to do? And he kind of told me uh, a few things. I can't remember the exact conversation, but I'll never forget. Um, two days later, after that conversation, I was, I was back home um, and he gave me a call and he said, hey, I want to partner with you. Like, you know, I know you got this money. Um, you know, I've got a little bit of money. Like, let's partner up. Let's go 50 50 and let's let's do a deal together. And that particular deal changed the entire trajectory of, of my investing career because I partnered with somebody that actually knew what they were doing. You know, unlike me, I mean, I, I was figuring it out on the fly, but he had done this. He was proven. Um, and and the deal that that him and I did was so revolutionary for me because we took this two bedroom, one bath uh, property on a lake. Um, it was sort of a you know, it was, it was a it was a pro typical um, like like lake house. 
Um, you know, so it wasn't, you know, some, it was somebody's vacation home, basically. Um, and we took it and turned it into, uh, you know, an actual like owner occupant property because we took it and made it a three bedroom, two bath, completely redesigned the entire uh, configuration of the property. And uh, it was it was just so mind opening for me that we could literally just add a bedroom and add a bathroom, you know, and redesign the entire layout. You know, we raised the ceiling because at, at one point I think it was like six feet. The ceiling was in the kitchen, which obviously made it feel like cramped. And we raised it to eight feet and just so much about the property we changed. Um, and you know, of course we made money on it, but the biggest thing was it opened my mind to the fact that, you know, you can change things within a property. Um, you know, just because something sits the way that it is, doesn't mean you got to ultimately keep it. And, uh, down the road that would add a ton of value to me to be able to add value. You know, we talk about value add uh, a lot in the, you know, on the podcasts and, and in our community. And that was the first step for me to really realizing the power a value add because you're talking about adding tens of thousands of dollars by adding a bedroom and a bathroom uh, and taking it from a two bedroom, one bath to a three bedroom, two bath and the ability to be able to sell it quicker, sell for a higher, higher dollar point. Um, and, you know, you can do that whether it's a rental property. People always want a second bath. A lot of them have families. If you want them to stay longer, you know, you get a three bed. They're probably going to stay longer because generally speaking, at least with my rental properties, you get a three bedroom. You're probably talking about you know, kids being in that school district and them not wanting to pull their kids out of school districts, things like that. Um, you, you know, you just add, you add a lot of value to whoever it is you're either selling it to or renting it to by giving them a, a more luxurious experience. Yeah. And just going back to that first deal, I mean, how much of a difference would it have made if he was there to help oh, you? Man. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it took eight months to, to do, uh, on my first one. And, I mean, everything I did was a learning experience. I made so many mistakes. Um, you know, I mean, the rehab costs a lot more than it than it should have because I just didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I remember like um, the tiles, my first tile job, and I think I ended up buying, t like, I, I ultimately had to buy like twice the amount of tiles that I needed because I cracked mo a lot of them. I laid them down wrong on some of them. You know, so I was constantly like fixing my own mistakes. Um, because I had no idea what I was doing, but ultimately, you know, I figured it out. I took some Home Depot uh, classes. I took a ton of YouTube, you know, classes, just figuring all that kind of stuff out. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if, if I had somebody that actually knew what they were doing, uh, guiding me through it, it would have been done in, you know, two months, three months, um, you know, or something like that, or at least a lot more efficient. Um, so, so yeah, gaining mentorship again, comes by the way of, of being trustworthy and being a really hard worker and, and proving yourself to other people. Um, and, you know, and, and if you can consistently do that o over your lifespan, uh, you're going to you're going to just attract people to you to ultimately help you in your investing journey. Yeah. And so that flip, I mean, you learned that you can add value by adding a bedroom, uh, rearranging the house, uh, changing the structure. Now, that was a flip, but this is a show about house hacking. And we're going to talk about how you house hacked. Um, why would you go from like, I mean, it sounds like it was a really good experience. Sounds like you made a lot of money flipping houses. Why did you decide to start um, house hacking instead of flipping houses? Yeah. So, you know, I, I was flipping houses obviously for a while. And um, my personality is, is always, uh, has always been like geared towards the long term. There's something about it that attracts me to long-term solid investments um, and I, I was listening to people at the time, 
um, that we're talking a lot about, you know, the potential of, of a crash again. And of course that never came, but, uh, but they were just talking about sound money, you know, and I was really attracted to, uh, the ideas of sound money, you know, and, and we're flipping houses, nothing wrong with it. Uh, but it is, it is ultimately the ultimate, uh, greater fool theory. You have to, uh, be able to find somebody that is willing to, uh, spend, you know, pay more and more and more. Till the greater fool runs out like it did in, in you know, in, in 2008. And not that that's necessarily going to come uh, again, but the margins were relatively thin. Um, you know, and I just, I just, there was something about it. And I was reading a book. I can't remember which one it was, but it was Brandon Turner's book from bigger pockets. Uh, and he had mentioned the 203 K loan, uh, which for people who aren't familiar with it, it's a renovation loan. It's the extension of FHA. Um, and it was, it was another one of those like aha moments that I had, to where I can I can actually flipping experience and and turn it into also a buy and hold, but where I actually add massive amount of value. And so uh, even though I only bring three and a half percent down for an FHA, I can ultimately you know uh, have 20, 30, or 40 percent equity by the time I get done with it because I'm massively rehabbing this place and adding a ton of value. So. That's exactly what I did. Um, I believe by the time that that I got done with it, uh, we had like 36 or 37 percent equity uh, in the place. So 3.5 percent down. Uh, we did about a, uh, I think a sixty thousand dollar rehab. Ultimately, it was a three uh, three unit, and I turned it into a four unit. Um, so I took the you know because of like I said that previous experience with a mentor who taught me that you can actually you know value add. I saw this one car garage which. To begin with, I mean, and of course, Drew, you, you've uh, been to that property. I mean, it was you could never really get a car into it because it was like it, it was off to the side. Like, you know, I mean, even a small car would have had a challenge to get in there. And so ultimately, it was basically just like, a you know, you have your lawnmower in there and things like that. And I just I remember walking into it for the first time and thinking because uh, there was a like a 12 by 12 storage room off the side of it, too. I just had this this moment where like I could turn this into a one bed, one bath. Um, and so that's, that's what I did. Uh, and I had to do that with my own money because of the red tape within the FHA, but, but, uh, everything else was being rehabbed. Uh, I did the majority of the one bed, one bed, one bath. I also hired contractors. We had about five or six different contractors in there, uh, doing things at a different time and, you know, just massively added value to it. Um, and, and while I lived there, you know, we were, we were making, um, if I remember correctly, like close to a thousand dollars a month, uh, while I lived there because I was living in this one bed. And so, um, I was making money while I lived in this house hack. Ultimately, uh, I, you know, I, I chose not to do like the burr concept, like a lot of people talk about where you rehab it and then you pull money out, um, just because the, the interest rate was going to be so much higher. Uh, and I, and I just felt like leaving that money in there on my first deal was, was a sounder choice. So we left, we left that money in there. Uh, we still, you know, but we, we refinanced to a conventional. So it dropped the PMI, uh, and lowered my interest rate, lowered my payment. And, you know, and, and knowing that I, I wanted to build something big, I wanted to lay the right foundation and not, not, you know, not maximize my, uh, debt, you know, my debt to my uh, loan to value on the property. And so, um, the next deal was sort of unique in the fact that I didn't, you know, I was in the middle of this rehab. And I was kind of extending myself uh, as far as the kind of funds that I had. Um, but a deal came up and uh, it actually happened to be this mentor uh, that I talked about. He had a duplex uh, on the other side of town and it was going to be a much better situation 
Uh, you know, my wife and I were getting married. Uh, it was side by side. It was almost kind of like a luxury house hack because everything was separate. It had a big backyard. You know, it didn't feel as much like we were house hacking as a four unit. So, but I didn't have the money for the down payment. He wanted thirty five thousand. It ended up being forty thousand. Uh, but he wanted thirty five thousand so he could take this and start a retail uh, expansion to one of his commercial buildings. Um, and and I didn't have the money, so I ended up getting private money um, to fund the initial down payment. And uh, I you know I, I end up negotiating a um, ten month zero percent interest zero payments for that property, which was super unique. I said, Hey, I'll give you your, you know, your purchase price. I'll give you the down payment. You just allow me to stay here for no interest and no payments for that time period until I can get conventional financing. So at, over that time period, we add a little bit of value to the property. And ultimately I came in with 0% down because when we got the conventional mortgage, uh, I was able to pay off him and then pay off my private money and not bring any personal money to the table at, at closing. So it was super awesome in that way. Um, it was it was unique. You know, we we and we started out uh, living on the smaller side, which is a one bed, one bath, and so we were living for free at that point. Um, and then ultimately, uh, my wife wanted to move to the other side, which is which is larger. Um, and so uh, we we moved over to the other side, and now uh, we're about negative uh, three hundred fifty. But it, it's a lot better. I mean, we have an office now. Uh, my wife is pregnant, so. So, you know, we, we have a room for a baby so we can still continue to house hack. Um, and, and ultimately now that we're kind of in a luxury situation, now we're buying properties, uh, as traditional investors, you know, so it's allowed us to continue to purchase property, stay in the same location. So we're, so I'm not uprooting my family now. Um, but, it, but it allows us to save a ton of money from what we would be paying either renting or, you know, paying a mortgage on a single family property. Um, and you know, it's just, it's been another fantastic, uh, property for us. Yeah. It's quite amazing. I mean, both your deals are totally different in terms of financing, how they were structured and then even cash flow. Um, the first one you said you were making a thousand dollars while living there. Um, I mean, how, how amazing is that for one, like one reason that we choose to house hack is because it brings down our living expense significantly. People pay what, what is it? 33% on average, um, in the U S on housing, so instead of paying rent or just paying a full mortgage, you can get that down to $0. You can get that to, you know, $1,000 coming in a month instead. Or you can go to the other side. Like now the uh, duplex that you're at is negative 350 but even paying $350 a month, I mean, what what's everyone paying for rent that's listening? I mean, think about that. Um, you know, I, I live in Grand Rapids. Rent's pretty high in the city. Uh, $350 a month is a significant savings. Yeah. No, for sure. And, you know, like in that first property, we were able to, we have uh, at, at a minimum $110,000 of equity now that we were able to create in that massive rehab. Um, and, and you know, now transitioning over to this place, you know, like like you said, it is a lot of money, three fifty, And it, for people that aren't familiar with a mortgage payment and its structure, uh, you pay not only principal and interest payment to your bank, but you also pay the insurance and taxes. Uh, on a property. So like the 350 that we pay, um, the tenant next door pays for the entire prop, uh, principal and interest. You know, all we're paying for essentially is just the taxes and insurance. So um, so they're still paying our, our mortgage, but but, you know, we just pay the, you know, the tax and insurance in essence. So um, so, you know, yeah, it, it's it's a great savings. Uh, and and we're, we've, we feel like 
we have our own separate space. That's the really unique thing about side by side. It's almost like condo mm-hmm. situations. Uh, and in my area, there are actual condos, and it's it's something that my wife have my my wife and I have have looked into a little bit. But uh, this one, I mean, it, it's it's sort of a, a luxury for us that we feel in our area. Um, you know, three fifty is like you said, pennies to pay for a property. Um, you know, like this, and my area, just like most, is appreciating at a very very high level. So our equity position is is increasing um, rapidly, you know, and, and so um, yeah, we we feel like we we found uh, we feel like we hit a home run for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and you know that's not the only reason that we choose to house hack. As far as saving on your living expense, I mean that makes a huge impact. Um, it's going to enable you to save up to be able to buy another property the next year or two years down the road. Um, whenever you decide to do that, but when you move out, you get to hold that property. You get to put tenants in there. That property is going to cash flow. So not only are you, you know, possibly living for free, possibly cash flowing while you live there, you're going to cash flow even more when you move out and hold on to that property. And, um, you know, like that first property, uh, we were financed to a conventional um, that was owner occupied. We moved out. We continue to have that um, same thing here when we choose to move out. Um, you know, but for the, like I said earlier, for this property, it's set up really, really uh, well for us. We have a dog. It's got a big backyard. Uh, we're having a, uh, our first child. We have, you know, another bedroom for it. Um, and we, you know, we have almost no interaction with our tenant because of the way it's sort of set up. You know, we, it doesn't feel like a house hack. Um, and so, you know, we talk about it often. I mean, if, if the opportunity presents itself and we find another luxury house hack, we might uh, do that. But for now, we are comfortable living here. We save enough money now that uh, all, everything we get, we we put into savings to buy properties where we don't have to move now. Uh, and ultimately, you know, we probably will do another house hack. You know, we we have the ability to just go buy properties on the 20, 25% down like a traditional investor. Um, and, you know, it, it all stems from our ability to save at a very high level because we don't have a $1,500 mortgage payment like everyone else. Ours is three fifty. Yeah. So, I mean, what happens after the house hacking now? Like what's the next step that you, uh, you're taking? So you did two house hacks, you're living for very cheap. You got a cash flowing rental out of it. What's the next step? Yeah. So, you know, most people want to live, uh, the traditional American life and that's awesome. I mean, uh, I'm a real estate agent, you know, and I, I, I help people house hack. I also help people get into traditional housing. And I mean, there are a ton of benefits to having your own space, your own land, Um, you know, you get to choose, uh, all sorts of things, you know, what you want to do with the property, uh, developing it. I mean, you know, just a lot of, a lot of benefits to home ownership. Uh, and we are a unique country in that way, you know, not very many countries around the world, uh, really emphasize home ownership. And, and that was the foundation of our country, uh, was, was, you know, the ability to live the American dream, which is home ownership. And so there are, you know, the whole government, um, promotes it as far as like backing FHA loans backing rural development loans, backing these government loans, uh, VA, you know, for veterans. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of push for it. So I totally understand it. My wife and I, our ultimate goal is to buy property with land and raise a family. Um, but we're willing to sacrifice and wait for that to be able to have these massive savings and build, build an actual portfolio that pays for our property, you know? And so that's the thing. I mean, people, no matter what your ultimate goal is, uh, whether it's traveling the world, whether it's doing something unique like yourself, Drew, and, and being a, uh, a, a professional bowler, whether it's like my wife and I who want to raise a family on a good chunk of land, uh, all, all three of those things can all be embodied in house hacking. 
And if you're able to delay your gratification with those things by house hacking for a certain amount of time, you can do whatever you want in life. And that's really the goal of this podcast. Don't don't necessarily follow in my footsteps. Don't necessarily follow in Drew's footsteps. Don't necessarily follow in the, you know, the traveler's footsteps. Find your own uh, beat and and go to that drum, you know, and that's what house hacking allows you to do is just minimize your expenses, save at a higher rate, do what you want to do. Yeah, there's so many paths with it. I mean, you don't have to do a deal like Brad did where he did this full remodel and added a unit. Um, You don't have to go that crazy. Like you can find a move in ready property. Maybe you're not good at maintenance. Maybe you don't want to do construction or just deal with a headache. Um, You know, it might not be as great of a deal. But you can get a move-in ready property and start living for free almost immediately. And then, you know, that house is still going to be a rental when you move out. So it's still going to be a good deal for you. And it's still going to really slingshot you into being successful at real estate investing and free you up to be able to do whatever else you want to do. Yeah. And so if you literally uh, just decide to do a couple of deals, right, you, you house hack twice before you buy your, your personal property, right? And so depending on who you are and where you're at, Potentially that could come at 0% down. Um, but at, at a minimum, mm-hmm. it's, you know, 3.5 to 5%, 3.5% being an FHA, 5% for most conventional mortgages. And if you do just a couple of those and your goal is to get a thousand or $1,500 in cash flow, um, you set that expectation. You attempt to buy a couple of places that will give you that cash flow. And if you get that in most areas around the country, $1,500 will get you into a decent property. Uh, you know, like a single family home. So literally that could pay for your single family home. Now, maybe it's two or $3,000 a month for your property. Well, then you, you adjust. And even if, even if you only get to 1500, that's at least 50% of your mortgage. That's a significant amount to live the American dream, uh, and, and lower your burden of what most people do. So lots of ways about uh, to go about it, but the uh, kind of savings you get by doing this and a lot of times appreciation. So if you do this for a little while, you save a ton of money and you decide, I don't want this anymore. You sell the property, you you gained uh, appreciation. You, maybe you did some renovations to lift the property value to begin with. Um, and then you sell it and you take that money and you do what you want with it. So lots of things you can do uh, with house hacking. And obviously we're big proponents of it. All right. So you have experience flipping houses. Uh, you decided to become a house hacker. Uh, you're starting to buy rental properties now for 20% down instead of, uh, house hacking them and, uh, you're a real estate agent. So can you talk a little bit about that and what your experience has been and how has it opened your eyes to the real estate world? Yeah. So it's been a complete different, uh, perspective shifter for me. Um, and a unique one, you know, now I get to interact every single day with, with, uh, not only investors, but traditional home buyers and, um, you know, sometimes I'll help. Uh, people get into rental properties or just whatever it is, condos, um, you know, new builds, buying land. I mean, it's been an incredible experience kind of getting involved with these, being involved with, you know, I'm with the top brokerage in in my county. Uh, so we sell a high volume of, of, of property and, you know, I've sold personally several million dollars um, now. And and it's it's opened my eyes to the fact specifically when you're house hacking that you have to be in this market. Let me let me go back a little bit and just say that I really began studying uh, kind of cycles, you know, not only cycles where we're at now, but cycles where we've been before. And there's always, uh, you know, right now we're in a credibly high seller's market, meaning that it's really difficult to, as a buyer, make demands upon a, a seller unless the property is 
a property that no one else wants, you know, um, the ugly duckling, so, so to speak. But if you go into a property that is in relative demand and you attempt to make demands as a buyer, you're probably not going to get it. So I think the thing that I've, I've found uh, for house hackers is that you have to have the ability to adapt. And so I, I think that begins with having, you know, the right team members, the right mortgage broker or bank. Um, the right real estate agent, you know, somebody that's actually investor friendly, somebody that's actually going to pour time and effort into you and the ability, you know, like the 203k loan renovation loans, but they're only going to fit a certain section of houses right now. You're going to have to find properties that no one else wants and then go, you know, get those. You'll probably be able to get them. If you're going uh, to find a property that is, you know, you, it's a really good property and there are other people uh, also making offers, they're probably not going to take yours. Um, if you, if, if it's, if it comes down to someone putting 20% down and somebody putting, you know, 3.5% down, the 20% down is probably going to get it. So you have to put yourself a little bit into the seller's perspective, uh, in this particular market and figure out, you know, what works. I mean, we've, we've had a lot of great people on the show, you know, that have, uh, shown us in different markets, my market, uh, you, you know, the Texas market, I mean, where appreciation is just running rampant right now. And I think for a while that will probably continue. Uh, and so, you know, as house hackers, our goal is to live for free, but the cherry on top in these markets is that our property over time is going to appreciate and become more. So, uh, you know, we really, as house hackers have a huge advantage because, you know, we put out some, some material on the difference uh, it costs for a 20% down versus a three and a half percent down. And again, people have to remember on both of those, there are closing costs associated with it. You know, like you're going to pay, uh, prepaid taxes, prepaid insurance. You're going to pay mortgage origination costs. You're going to pay, uh, recording fees. You're going to pay title fees, right? There, there, there are these costs associated with transacting real estate. Uh, being an agent has really given me a, a unique perspective now on what it actually takes to transact real estate. Um, the fact that I think people underestimate building a reputation. Uh, and what do I mean by that? I mean that a lot of people talk about waiting for the downturn to begin investing in real estate uh, and house hacking. Not a horrible idea. The thing that they don't consider is the fact that now uh, lending, lending requirements skyrocket during downtimes, right? Uh, we saw that in April. I had, I had a, a, about, a, I lost about a million dollars uh, you know, as far as, uh, buyers, potential buyers, because, uh, lending requirements just slammed on the brakes and all these sort of, uh, fringe borrowers got denied last second. I mean, I had one, we were right at the door of closing and they completely shut us down. Um, you know, and so lending squeezes, um, if you're looking to get into like private money and getting investors to invest in you, no investor is going to invest in somebody who is, who does not have a track record prior to this going down, you know? And so for me, the way that I, my wife and I look at this is like, we have the ability, the fortune with lending being so loose right now to grow a portfolio, to, to begin to get a track record. And when things turn, we can then go to, to investors who are looking to, to, you know, get their money out of stocks, out of volatility and say, listen, we have not missed a payment. We have not, you know, no property has gone into foreclosure. Uh, all of our properties are in good standing. We're still making money. Here is what, here is our plan to give you great returns and in turn, give us great returns, right? Win wins. Um, and so without that reputation and track record, you're not gonna be able to do that. 
so something people have to consider in, in high times like this is there are still sound investments. House hacking is all about living for free. So if you can accomplish that, you know, it, it it's really if you get in, in good it, in good areas, what the current value of the property is, is not as important as the ability to live for free, because that's what we're going for. You know, and I'm not saying yeah. overspend on properties, but in good areas over time, the 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 values are going to continue to increase. So maybe in a year or two scope, the property values may vary in the future. But in a 10, 15, 20 year uh, period, when you're only putting three and a half percent down, I mean, you're going to your returns are going to skyrocket over somebody putting 20 or 25, which is a traditional down payment. So um, so, again, I think there's a lot of things to consider during these high times like right now. I mean, I know it's volatile. I know there's a lot of uncertainty with, you know, everything going on. But but we have the ability to build a track record long term. Yeah. The great thing about house hacking, too, is it's a very low risk strategy. You know, if you're flipping houses and there's a market downturn, um, you might get stuck with that house and not be able to sell it for a profit. Absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of other risk involved in real estate. With house hacking, you're going to live somewhere anyways, right? You're going to pay rent somewhere anyways. So now you're going to go to this house in like worst case scenario, if you can't fill it with tenants, which, you know, historically um, being able to rent uh, during a downturn, like a real estate downturn, uh, historically, there's not a lot of issue there. It's more of the value of the house that is impacted, not so much rent rates or um, occupancy levels. Yeah. But if you do have issues finding tenants, like you're you're just paying a full mortgage now, right? That's what you would have been doing anyways. You were paying rent. You were paying down someone else's mortgage. So you might as well house hack and then take on the risk, you know, the risk of not being able to find tenants. And if you have vacancy, it's really not that big of a deal. It's not going to impact you much. Absolutely. And so like two things to consider for people is number one, if you look at the rent rates from 2007 to 2012, which was, you know, the peak of the uh, peak of the housing market in 2007 and the bottom of the park, uh, housing market, which was 2012, um, rent rates plateaued. They didn't go down. They didn't go up. They, you know, depending on the market. If you look at the U.S. market in general, they plateaued, meaning that they just flatlined. All right. And so even in downturns, people actually need more rentals. Uh, you know, if, if there's a downturn in the future, future, generally speaking, it means that people are losing their primary residences. So what what does that mean? They means that they turn to renting. Right. Or this whole push for work optional or the ability to have uh, freedom and, and people traveling and stuff. That means that more people are going to be renting. People want people don't want the liability of owning a house and, and being stuck in one location. They want to be able to move around. So they rent. And that means that rent to man is going to increase. And duplexes and triplexes are much more desirable for a potential tenant than a massive apartment building. Because guess what? If you only have two or three tenants, it means that it's a better general experience for the tenant rather than a massive uh, building that generally speaking is going to have issues. You're going to have issues with tenants making noise and and all the other issues that come with it. And so the thing that you and I have found is that we find much better tenants when we have a duplex or a fourplex than generally speaking, helping uh, a bigger, um, you know, apartment building. So something to consider there, you're going to have rental demand, generally speaking. And even if you don't, you can you have the control now to lower rents a little bit to keep it occupied. You know, if you put your money in the stock market, you're at the mercy of the market. You're at the mercy of the company that you put your money into. But if you own the asset, you have the ability to forgive a month's rent or to lower the rent for a month or whatever you have to do, break it up in payments, 
Um, you know, you have that kind of control that that other assets don't have. And there's a lot of ways to structure the lease too. Um, you know, you could be doing Airbnb month to month, uh, long term leases, and we'll get more into detail in the next episode on that. But if you have someone that's they signed a year lease and you know there's a housing market crash three months in, they're they have a year lease. So they're you know, they're locked into that lease. So unless they're impacted to where they can't work and can't afford rent, um, you don't really have to worry about anything. And if they do get to the point where they can't afford rent, you can work with them. If there's a housing market crash, what are the chances that their job's gonna be impacted because of the house housing market? So they're going to be paying rent for those nine months. And by the time the market recovers, you know, the lease will be ending and you'll be able to find another tenant. And so like back to the point on, on what, you know, I've learned as an agent. Um, now, now we are, you know, a huge proponents that rock stars hang with rock stars. And I think the easiest way to find a good team member is through a real estate agent. Um, and so, you know, I tell people all the time, the easiest way to find that investor friendly. And again, that's what we're going for here. We don't, you know, we don't just want any agent because each agent has its own specific use. But I think people would be shocked to find the the high percentage of agents that don't actually own any form of real estate outside of a personal resident. You know, I think the easiest way to do it is to call, you know, go, go on phone book, find, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, Remax, uh, Keller Williams, some of the big real estate brands in your area, call the front desk, ask the office manager who in your office is investing in property. And you'll get a hand, you know, by the time you call three or four different offices, you might find three or four or five good, solid agents that you could then interview, you know, and, uh, you know, again, reach out to us. We know several around the country that we can put you in touch with. If you're in the uh, metropolitan Detroit area, uh, that's where I'm at. Reach out to me. Um, you know, we, we know people again around the country. I think finding that that agent is crucial because agents will know the lenders, which will know the lawyers, which will know the property managers, which will know, you know, like they can put you in touch with great people to where you don't got to go to each different class like that as far as team members and begin interviewing and in, which it racks up into 20, 30, 50 different people you got to interview. Rockstars hang with rock stars. If you find one great rock star, they're going to be able to plug you into the other rock star team members that they also work with. Because I can tell you right now, there is nothing that somebody who is a high producer dislikes more than mediocrity in, in this industry of real estate. You know, a real estate agent is not going to put up with a lender that is mediocre at closing deals or that doesn't close deals and vice versa. A lender is not going to put up with an agent that doesn't give his clients their, their best effort that isn't very informative, that doesn't see things uh, before they need to be, you know, saw. And, um, you know, rock stars hang with rock stars. That, that is what it is. Let's talk about a little bit about where this podcast is going to go. Um, this is episode one. You know, next episode, we're going to get more into the weeds about house hacking, uh, the strategy. We're going to talk about how you can find those rock stars, how you can find that rock star real estate agent, uh, what to look for in a lender. And uh, we're going to talk about, you know, finding tenants, structuring your lease, things like that. As the show goes on, we're going to start bringing on guests that are very experienced in house hacking and real estate to educate you. And if you ever want to reach out to us on Instagram, you can DM us. The links are going to be in the description if you want to check out our website. I think this is going to be a great journey, and I think the listeners are going to learn a lot about house hacking and real estate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, you name it, we're mm -hmm. on there. But but uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, we're going to bring on unique situations from around the country, uh, whether it's Airbnb whether it's people that are, you know, house hacking in the NFL or NHL. I mean, we're going to bring on people who have unique stories to show you that there are thousands of people doing this around the country 
in a little niche that was very, very little known. And thanks to Brandon Turner, he put a word on it. But now our goal is to actually focus in on it because we feel like there are, there's really no one else out there that is really exposing the dramatic effects long term of house hacking. Because, again, I mean, when you're young like us and, and you don't have the kind of capital that other people have, it is incredibly challenging and and scary to put 20% down on a property that you don't live in, right? I mean, that is just a big undertaking and a lot of people do it, but it means that you have to have to have a lot of confidence and capital to be able to do something like that. But our, our goal here is to say you can live in a great property for a low down payment, live for free, save a massive amount of money, move out and continue to hold that asset for a long term. The property is going to pay itself off by the tenants. You're going to get cash flow throughout there. You get tax savings, uh, just so many benefits of of owning real estate and you can you can encompass that into the american dream of home ownership and the benefits that banks and the government give to you the government not only backs the loans you know the government loans for you to put low down payments but they give you depreciation they give you all, a numerous amount of tax benefits to it you get to um, you know you get to offset your earned income with with the depreciation of, of the property and the depreciation of, of, of everything you put into the property. So many benefits uh, that I think people that is outside of their grasp. And our goal with this is to bring on people that really harness the power that is house hacking. Yeah, it's a great strategy. It's by far the best to get started. And uh, we look forward to recording more episodes. Absolutely. So again, we appreciate each and every one of you for uh, coming along for this journey, listening in. Please rate and review us. It helps us grow our audience. But even more than that, just become involved with the community. That's really all we want is just to formulate this community where we help connect people uh, and we just grow together. And 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 at the end of the day, we can all look back and say, you know, we made it together. And that's really what, what this whole podcast and this whole community is all about. Absolutely. It's a great community and I'm happy to be a part of it. Absolutely. So for, for Drew and myself, you guys have a great day and we look forward to hearing from you in the future.